Camping is weird though, right? You, you have to work so hard to get ready to go camping. Then you work so hard once you get to the campsite to basically build a house. And then every meal you have to make, unless you're weird and you're like me and you're like, let's go to Hardee's, I'm out, you know. And, and then when you're done, you got to work so hard to pack it all up and come home and then you got to clean it up because it's been put together kind of dirty. And then for like the next week, you're still itching bug bites and stuff and you're exhausted and you think you had a great time. You paid to go be homeless. Okay. I got I to gotta focus. I, summer's getting to me. I'm like in summer. Summer, we could go camping. Everyone going to go camping? All right, let's get to the text. Oh, dude, I want to get a camper. I was literally researching them. Help me focus, people. Get me back on track here. Okay, let's pray. Let's pray. Maybe that'll help. Holy Spirit, we thank you for summer. Thank you for family. We thank you for friends. Thanks, God, for the memories and the the hard times and the good times that make up our life. I ask God for the perspective uh, right now so that we won't miss it, that some of the hard things we're going through are the things we'll actually look back on and say, boy, those were good times, though, weren't they? Give us perspective in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning's text is 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. Paul says, listen to the word of the Lord. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. He knows he's not long for this world. Fascinating phrase, though. It's a Jewish man who knows. He's, he's been around. He's seen some things. I don't think we, first of all, I like to say first of off instead of first of all, just because it's weird. First of off, oh, my wife hates my watch, by the way. It was in the lost and found, so if it's yours, come claim it. She despises it. Anyway, she can't stand it. She would love for you to take it. She threatened me with buying me an Apple watch, so I'm going to keep wearing it. She hates it so bad, she's about to buy me an Apple watch. And I'm like, what are you trying to do, motivate me to wear it every day? Because that's what's happening. Okay. First of all, it's difficult for us to even think in terms of sacrifices and offerings. That whenever you plant a field, you take the first fruits to the house of the Lord and you waste it. I mean, you offer it, I'm sorry, you offer it. That if you have a vineyard, you take the best wine of the whole vintage of that year, the best, the very, very best, and you Hold it up, and you just waste it. You pour it on the ground. I mean, sorry, you offer it. You, you have herds. You have flocks. You take the best, your healthiest. You're most likely to be like, okay, yes, yes, this one right here, the healthiest one. My breeder, my prize, right there, that one. That's the one you want. This is the one you put on a rope and take to the to the altar. 
slit its throat. It's very, very intense. My friends and I had a goat roast in college. That's the first time that I realized, whoa, when I eat meat, an animal died. That sounds like we should know that already, right? But if you had to kill your own meat, you'd probably think differently about it. You know? There's not a chicken nugget plant. And some people are like, yes, there is. You don't eat your pets. But you take your very, very best and you bring it to the house of the Lord and you just waste it. No one eats it. I mean, there are some sacrifices you could eat. The peace offering you could eat. The peace offering was like a fellowship meal in the presence of the Lord. It's just a thank you. Thank offerings, you could eat portions of them. There's some offerings you can't. The whole burnt offering is completely burned, even the skins. And if it doesn't burn overnight, you take the leftovers and you burn it completely. And the priests don't even get anything from that. But there's a lot of waste from a certain point of view. But if you're Jewish, that starts to form your value. What was the point of all that? To honor God? What was the point of that? To walk by faith? What was the point of that? To declare my dependency on him and, my, and his place in my heart and my life? But it was such a waste. Well, if there's no God, it certainly was. Can you imagine being an atheist and watching the sacrifices in the Old Testament tabernacle? Can you imagine? You'd be sitting there thinking, what a waste. Here goes the grain. What a waste. Here goes this... When I, when I eat Triscuits, I think, this must be what kind of what I like, you know, Triscuits. No yeast, just salted, salted grain and baked. I'm like, did they literally get that right out of Leviticus? And this, gets, some gets burned in the fire, some gets given to the priest, but the atheist is sitting there going, what a waste. All day, every day, the atheist watching these sacrifices is going, what a waste. And Paul, Paul is saying, my life is being poured out on the ground for the Lord. From a certain point of view, my life's being wasted. Not from the Lord's point of view, not from the point of view of faith, not from a gospel point of view, not from a kingdom point of view, but from a certain point of view, wasted. My life is being wasted. Notice he doesn't say, my time a certain portion of my life. I'm the offering. Interesting. Sometimes the Lord's ways seem wasteful to us. Financially wasteful. Socially wasteful. Emotionally wasteful. And not just the little moments of sacrifice, because those are moments of sacrifice. What about the broader picture of the story of your life? Like a husband or a wife who remain in a loveless marriage out of reverence for Jesus. What a waste from a certain point of view. What an offering from another point of view. 
What about a missionary or a pastor who just labors in a hostile environment seemingly fruitlessly? Loses most everything. No one knows their name. Their story isn't turned into a big book because it wasn't effective enough to warrant a book. Who wants to read stories of failures? What a waste. From a certain point of view. What about people who are labeled fools by their friends? What about people who are called judgmental and cruel because our culture doesn't understand why we don't join them in their values and in their idea of what counts as fun? What a waste. What about people whose reputation is ruined and they're known as evil? But if you cut them open, there's just a gentle, quiet spirit with integrity. What a waste. But people don't come receive Jesus from them because the label on the box is warning, poison. Happens a lot. I think we love a comeback story, don't we? Love a, I love a comeback story. I love the underdog story. I love the grit, determination, and hard work pays off. The good guys win in the end. The bad guys, justice wins. Evil is punished. We love that stuff. I think we're so addicted to stories like that because life's not like that. Life's kind of meaningless and futile and tragic. If you make fun of how tragic it is, we call it a comedy. If you cry about how tragic it is, we call it a tragedy. But that's real life. Real life's like that. People are like birds. They're enjoying their day, and then whoop, you're stuck in a net, and then you're killed and eaten. That's life. You're like fish. You're swimming along, and all of a sudden, shoop, you're caught in a net, and then you're killed and eaten. That's life. I'm quoting Ecclesiastes right now. You just don't know it. There's good people who die young, and there's bad people who live to be rich, old, and popular. That's Ecclesiastes. What a waste. But that's what life's like. And because that's what life's like, we love stories that tell us it's not that way. Because we know it shouldn't be that way. But it is. Shall we just end it right there? Just that's the sermon. Ecclesiastes. I love Ecclesiastes. You can hand that to an atheist and they'll agree with almost all of it. You can. They'll say, oh my word, that's actually really deep. Let's make money. Let's go. Let's be diligent. There's no point. You'll die. You don't take it with you. They'll forget your name. They'll give it to people who don't care. And it won't matter. Let's work real hard to be super good. It won't matter. You die, you go to the same place as the animals. The, the book is awesome. I love the book. It basically says, let's back up and look carefully at what we're living for and figure out most of it doesn't matter. I, I love it. I love the book. He says, boy, work's really hard. So if you hate your job, that's a major fail because you're spending a huge portion of your short life doing something you hate. 
So if you love your job and you have a good woman or a good man and you eat good food, that's winning. But you still die and that's stupid. That's Ecclesiastes. And then like two times he says, I said one, I put the one finger up and then said two times. Is that confusing? Two times he's like, oh, and by the way, honor God. Okay, fine. He says it three times. But it's funny to me that apart from those three verses, an atheist who's paying attention would probably go, man, this is really, this guy's on point. This guy's really on point. One of my favorite parts is when he says, when you go to church, don't talk. And I'm like, well, what does that mean for me? Now, what he means is don't make vows. Don't make vows. Don't promise, don't promise God you're going to do stuff. Don't do it. Be quiet. Just say thank you. Don't tell God what you're going to do for him because then you have to or you'll be guilty. And don't, don't, just don't, just don't utter vows. Don't promise stuff. Don't promise stuff, which is right in the New Testament too. Jesus picks up on that. Why am I talking about this? Let's come back to the thing. We all have a good comeback story because life's, like Ecclesiastes says, pretty meaningless and bad things just happen to everyone, good and bad alike. What we hate is just plain old tragedy. And I think Americans, Americans, are really bothered by the idea of wasting our life. Like, oh my goodness, don't waste your life. But, who, but how you define what wasting your life means is different, isn't it? One person says, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to waste my life. So they get up off their butt and they go get a job and they start working hard so they can achieve their dreams. Another person says, I am sick and tired of wasting my life. And they quit their job and they go home and they play video games. Both for the same dang reason. I'm sick of wasting my life. Because something about realizing your mortality causes you to go, I should live out my ideals. It doesn't mean that your ideals are right. But I think just an American worldview would find this idea of pouring your best wine on the ground, killing your best sheep, offering your best of your flock, giving the best of your time to the Lord so that it will be burnt up, wasted, for no purpose. It's not serving any good. It's not building something. It's not forming a movement. It's not inspiring change. It's not helping people. It's not doing ministry among the poorest of the poor in Jesus' name. It's just gone. I think Americans, even American Christians, would find this Old Testament concept of sacrifices and offerings for the Lord offensive. A waste. A waste. I think we have deep in our bones this idea of it's our job to make the world a better place. So deep in our bones as Americans, because Americans so strongly in in our bones believe the myth of progress. Do you know what I mean by the myth of progress? Life's getting better, always. The technology, the health, the people, it's always getting better. And then here comes me saying, actually, it's the same as it always was. Meet the new boss, same as the old boss. 
For you kids, that's a song by a band called The Who. Have you heard of the who? Okay. Their main... <laughs> Carl, who? The who? The what? Uh. Roger, the, the lead singer, he used to swing his microphone really, really hard, which any sound guy will tell you, please don't do that. Anyone who knows how it's built knows how fragile those little wires are, and they're watching, and they're like, oh, my word, what is he doing? That's like watching a mechanic watch somebody drive a stick shift, and they go, oh, what is he doing? And you're like, Whatever, it's fine. When's the last time you checked the oil? Oil? What's that? The who. Meet the new boss, same as the old boss. Ecclesiastes, again, says, uh, if you hear somebody say, this is new, no, nah, it's all been tried. It might be repackaged. It might be slicker, uh, sleeker, might be faster. But what it lets you do is more of what we've already done. The myth of progress. Americans, we want to end it. We want to save the world. We want to make the world a better place. We want to leave the world better than we found it. And none of those things is bad things. But the world's like a beach, it's going to look kind of like it does now, about a thousand years from now. Yep. Different people will be on that beach. It won't be you and me. We'll be long forgotten. But that beach is going to be the same. Which is why I like the ocean. It's so old and so large and so beautiful and so uncaring about whatever little thing I'm supposedly worried about this time. It puts things in perspective with a big, hard, science don't care, nature don't care, honey badger don't care. Yes, they don't care. Sharks don't care. And there are all kinds of sharks in the Delaware uh, shores. I'm all kinds. I could show you pictures, but we're not getting off track. Can you just imagine David dancing before the Lord? They're taking the ark back up to Jerusalem. First time he tried to take it up to Jerusalem, somebody touched it and God killed him. This time he's taking it up to Jerusalem and he's doing it different. Every few steps they stop and kill an animal to honor God. They have the band playing. They're doing the whole thing different. They're carrying it on the poles that God prescribed. They're doing it all different. And David is leading the way. And he's stripped off his clothes, y'all. I don't mean he's totally naked, but they would have called him naked. He was down in his skivvies. He was dressed more like a servant. And he is leaping before the Lord with all his might. All his might. Looking like a fool. And his wife looks out the window and sees him, and she despises him because he's the king and he's acting like some drunk, like some crazy college dude. So when he comes in, she says, oh my, how the king's distinguished himself today. Look what you've done, disrobing in the sight of all these servant girls. And he's hot. So he comes right back at her. It was before the Lord. 
it was before, it, none of it was, in fact, in fact, I'll become even more undignified than this, and I'll be humiliated in my own eyes. Well, that's an issue. How do you become humiliated in your own eyes? Have you ever done something that you believed was right, yet you blushed all the way down to your bones doing it? Every last bit of it was self-denial. And you regret that you had to do it, but if you had to do it again, you'd still do it, even though you regret having to do it. It wasn't for them, it wasn't for you, it wasn't for me, it wasn't for reputation, it wasn't for dignity, it wasn't for my people, it wasn't to build momentum, it was for the Lord. I'm not even done yet killing my pride in the name of this God and worshiping and obeying this God, he says. I'm not even finished killing my pride yet. I'll become even more undignified than this. I'm going to humiliate myself further than this. But in the eyes of these servant girls you mentioned, I'm going to be honored. Why? Because they're going to say, that was awesome. No, because the Lord. The Lord's going to do something. The Lord's going to worry about my reputation. I'm going to worry about my integrity. I'm going to let the Lord worry about my reputation. Can you imagine? She looks at this and she's like, what a waste. What an idiot. What a waste. And he looks at it and he says, listen. Exactly. It was for the Lord. That's 2 Samuel 6.22, by the way, if you wanted to know where that story was, where that phrase is. I'll become even more undignified than this. 2 Samuel 6.22. See, this is part, part of what I'm like, do people know what worship is? Americans think worship is singing. That's weird. Right? Actually, I think we think that Worship is what we do while we're singing. And then once the singing is done, then the worship is done. When we bump into that, I, I, get, I, I push back hard. Hey, Pastor Tim, at the end of the worship time, hold up, what? What do you think this is we're doing right now? I'm trying to use words to lift up the value of the Lord. That's, this is worship with the Bible rather than just music. Yes. What do you think we're doing when we give our money? We're trying to give an offering to the Lord. Which, by the way, once the money is given, don't look where it goes. Don't look what it was spent for and get all mad at the church. That's not helpful because you didn't give it to the church. You gave it to the Lord. Can you imagine looking at the priest eating it and being like, but that guy's skinny and that guy's fat. Give it to the skinny guy. What's wrong with you? He needs more. Get it back. He does, though. Man, he, he is too skinny. <laughs> and he needs some sun. Okay. And I don't know. Do, do you know that when, like, when the service, say, oh, man, it's hard to get to church. Yeah, if, it's hard to get to church. You're right. You know, before we had kids, it was a lot easier. I know, yeah, it's way harder to get to church now that we have kids. But it's my weekend. Okay, it's your weekend, I understand. You're asking me to give up like the whole, the whole forenoon on Sunday. Okay, all right. 
Wow, okay. Do you know what worship is? Do you know what an offering is? You know? What do you mean I can't have sex with my girlfriend? We like each other. We've been on more than three dates. I'm, t- I'm just gonna, this is, America, this is an American mindset. We've been on three dates. We've been on three dates. So now if we don't have sex, they're going to lose interest and they'll probably go with somebody else. And so if you say, no, no, I'm not going to have sex with anybody I'm not married to and I'm only going to be married once to the opposite sex for the rest of my life and that's, that's what I'm going to do because I'm going to do it God's way. You're going to be viewed as really weird. And even if you want to do it God's way, come on, who wants to, who, who's going to admit that's a sacrifice? That's self-denial. That's saying no to yourself. And, and, but, but here's modern preacher logic. Modern preacher logic is I'm supposed to tell you why doing it God's way is actually good for you. Now, is, it, now is doing it God's way good for you? Yes. But notice where the value of the American Christian is weighted. I keep me at the center of my heart and life. So this whole thing of offerings to the Lord because of his value is foreign. I serve God for what I get out of it. Heaven, forgiveness of sins, happiness and peace, provision, answered prayer and healings. Come on, man. What about I love him, I honor him, I please him at cost to me because he's my priority. Amen. I'm telling you, when we just, when we just, I, when I see people dabble in a little faith, just a little churchiness while maintaining control, if, is that the right word? Let me see if I can get a better word for this. While staying in the center of their affections. I go, it's not going to work, and it's not going to stick. They're only going to be here for a minute because their agenda is still please themselves. They haven't crossed over to loving him. Because where's your price tag of, of obedience? Like, people have a price tag of obedience. I'll obey until, until it doesn't. If the cost and the benefit don't, aren't in the right proportion, I'm out. What price? What price? You want to pay that price? No, I'm not. I'm out. I'm out. I'll give him. I'll give him two hours on Sunday. I'll try to stop cussing as much. I'm definitely not going to tithe. I'm definitely going to have sex with my girlfriend. I'm definitely going to smoke pot. I'm definitely going to do whatever I want. And I'm definitely going to tell you you're judgmental if you say that doesn't work. That's displeasing to the Lord. Because I have. I'm not in love with Jesus. I haven't surrendered my life to Jesus. I'm still in charge of me. So these offerings, from that kind of perspective, look stupid. You know what I mean? That's a little religion. And then someone living out authentic Christianity will look totally weird to you. What do you mean? Go sell your possessions and move to Thailand. Live among people who aren't you and aren't like you. Dress like them. Learn their language, and then after 20 years, come back home, and now your children don't have any friends that speak English, and they're weird. Your kids are weird. You wasted the bulk of your life. Or what, if, what about when these Muslims kill you when you go to Iraq and you become a missionary there? I remember the, the lady working on the house next to us in Kentucky. 
could not figure out why anybody would want to go be a missionary to any Muslim country. What if they kill you? What a waste of your life. And I thought, okay, so you don't understand the gospel. You de- if, 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 yeah, but they killed you. I, the, the guy, he knew that. He knew they could kill him. While he was young in his 20s, before he had a bunch of kids, before he had seen the world and gone on vacations and gone scuba diving, before he lived into his 70s and 80s and got to kiss his grandbabies on the head. He didn't get any of that. The good life. Remember what I said? Is a sense of our mortality causes people, no matter what they believe, to go, man, I better live out a life that matters, a meaningful life. Causes one person to quit their job, causes another person you go get a job. Causes one person to go be a missionary and be martyred. Causes another person to go, you know what? I'm going to retire and go golfing because of what we define as a meaningful life. I call it practical atheism. In the Old Testament, if you were watching the, Old Te- the sacrifices, if you were an atheist, the whole thing would seem like a total waste, Right? Now imagine, imagine inside of your head there are voices that say, you're wasting your life. Can't I be used more effectively elsewhere, Lord? There's little voices in your head. It's like you have little, little, little atheists living inside of you and they speak doubts and they look at the cost benefit of, of the faith thing and they go, mm-mm, it's too much. They don't get it. And Paul says, I'm not giving an offering, I am the offering. His life, not his money, not just some of his moments, not his weekend, not a friendship or two, not his career, not his best years, his very life is being just poured out on the ground in obedience and honor to the Father. Just poured out on the ground. Can you imagine the doubts inside your own head? Who am I benefiting? How am I helping anyone? The t- I, I would, it would, 20 years ago, I would have said, the tapes playing in your head. Now, I guess, the Spotify streams playing in your head. David says, it wasn't for that. It was before the Lord. Paul says, it wasn't wasted, it was an offering. Amen. It wasn't just an efficient and effective means to be fruitful for the cause of Christ. It was a drink offering. I hope it's fruitful, but I'm not in charge of that. Here's a prayer that I have found that really helps my, my heart when those little atheists inside my head are talking too loud. Do you know what I'm talking about? The little atheists inside my head? The little, the little Michaels criticizing my little David inside my head? Here's a prayer that I find helpful. It's very simple. God, you're worth it. Boy, that'll shut down the self-pity. God, you're worth it. 
Because that's what's at stake, isn't it? That's really the question underlying the questions. Is it really worth all this to do it God's way? Is it really worth all this to honor you? Is it really worth all this? Can I be more effective elsewhere? Can you imagine? I've seen it. I've seen the husband in the loveless marriage to the wife that will not love him. I'm wasting my best years serving Jesus. That's what it looks like from the little atheist inside my head. I want to get as mad as he is. God, you're worth it. All four Gospels tell the story of Mary washing Jesus' feet with her tears and wiping them with her hair. All four of the Gospels tell this little story. And she does it in a hostile environment. She does it at the home of a Pharisee who is sure she's a whore and Jesus is an idiot. And the disciples, just in case you thought maybe they understood, they didn't either. The disciples are also shocked at what's going on, and they're offended not just by, oh my word, how could he let this happen? They're also offended at the waste. A pint of pure nard perfume, bro. We could take this right now, we could sell it, and the money would be a whole year's wages. How much do you make in a year? Don't answer that out loud, apparently. No, I learned that. Americans will tell you the deepest, darkest secret of their heart, but they won't tell you their income. <laughs> Woo. Isn't that weird? I asked my dad when I was a kid, hey, dad, how much you make a year? And he's like, what? Oh, dear, help. Anyway, let's have the awkward sex talk, son. <laughs> Never mind. I got stuff to do. The, the disciples are, are offended at the waste. This, this money, this, is a, this perfume that she's just pouring out on Jesus' feet. Just pouring it out. I mean, like, use a little. It's perfume. little dabble, do you? Just put a little hair and rub these together and go like that. And like that, it's good enough. Stretch it out. She's pouring it. And you got to see dollar signs like, oh, it was 3000 5000 10000 That was a $15,000 pour. That was a $15,000 pour. Looking at it, there's only 20 grand left in the jar. Oh, no, here goes the rest. You're killing me. And Jesus doesn't stop it, the waste. You'd think, you'd think he'd say, I'm a servant. Therefore, it's not about me. It's about others. We should feed some of these starving people. I'm Jesus. I'm fine. But he has no problem receiving lavish affection. Some of us do have a problem receiving lavish affection. Because we deeply don't believe we are loved. We don't agree with our value. So when others try to lavish us with love, we react worse than if they hate us. 
It's equally uncomfortable to be loved intensely and hated intensely. For me, hate me intensely, I'm like, ow, I don't like that at all. But love me too intensely, and I'm like, help, run, hide. Where's a rock? You know? Easy on the eye contact. I don't know. There's too much touch. Anyway, look at the time. And Jesus receives it. 50 grand worth of perfume just wasted on him in one moment. And he says, yep, bring it on. This is beautiful. This is what he says. She has done a beautiful thing for me. They see a waste, he sees beauty, and he sees beauty matters so much. Do we value beauty like the Lord does? That's, that's a great question. Did you know the Mennonite church, historically, we've been against paintings, pictures, colors. Your car had to be black, your clothes had to be plain, because we thought of that as humility. And then here's Jesus wearing such a nice outfit that the soldiers fought over it when he died. Just something to think about. Right? It's just interesting. His clothes were so nice, they literally cast lots to see who would get them. (laughs) He wasn't wearing like, you know, my, well... I tend to, I, I, I love a good deal. How about that? I'll say it that way. Nobody's fighting over my clothes is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> he doesn't stop the waste. He doesn't stop the waste and say, you know what? You're right. This is a waste. You're, you're right. He says, no, she's done a beautiful thing. And everywhere the gospel goes, this story will be told. And it won't be remembered as the great waste of A.D. 33. No. No, it will be held up as, as kind of the gold standard of love. It will be held up as like the gold standard of devotion, the gold standard of what grace does to a heart. The one who's forgiven much loves much. So my hope, as our lives are being poured out on the ground like a drink offering, in a hundred different ways, because your story is unique. There are ways in which your story is a story of as your devotion to Jesus is taking shape, your life's being poured out on the ground. And there's Michaels in your heart. Maybe they're in your family. Maybe they're in your friend group. Maybe they're just inside you saying, what a waste. What a fool. What are you doing? Maybe those are just voices inside your head saying, is this really how I'm supposed to spend my one short life on planet Earth? Surely there's got to be more than this. That's a pretty ringtone. I'm used to hearing Jacob Border's Zelda stuff and telling Cheyenne that he's coming. And I'm like, we're not even finished with practice, bro. Tell her it's going to be 30 more minutes. I'm almost home. 
We're almost done. He's such an optimist is why. He really is. He's like a total optimist. He, he had a scheduling thing, and he couldn't. He said, I, I don't know if I can come mow. Well, then later I said, I noticed you mowed. What'd you, how'd you mow? He goes, oh, I just brought Hudson along and put him on my lap. It takes like two hours, and it's like dirty and windy, and there's loud, and there's grass. Did he enjoy that? Oh, he enjoyed most of it. That's Jacob, man. He's just an optimistic, hard worker. I interrupted myself yet again, and I'm trying to finish. This is supposed to be your conclusion. When you got those aletheists in your head, looking at your life and looking at the shape of your life and the story of your life, see, there's a reason this passage speaks to me. Because I often deal with the doubts and the questions of those inner little atheists that look at the sacrifices of doing it God's way and say, what? And then I even have little Thomases that say, I believe in the Lord, but is this really the most effective way to serve the Lord with your one life? There's 150 ways you could look at the grass at somebody else's life, situation, and it's so green over there. It is greener over there. Yeah, because it's a septic system right up there. On the <laughs> and it's leaky. I'm kidding. But that's the wrong question. The wrong question is, Am I missing out? Am I missing out? Am I missing out? Am I missing out? Is there a better way I could be using my life? Is there a better way? Is there a better way? Is there a better way? I guess FOMO is like a big deal, isn't it? Fear of missing out. Sorry, I had to explain it. You, you didn't need me to explain. Uh, did you need me to explain? FOMO? You know FOMO. Okay. It's a real thing. When I turned 30, I cried all day long. Because I went to college and seminary instead of ministry, instead of, and I had a friend and he like worked for a major corporation, worked for Microsoft and his wife was the ambassador from Somalia's assistant and they traveled the world and they were so stinking rich and attractive and important and they made so much stinking money. And you go, well, money's not everything. They were like supporting so many missionaries and I'm like, what could I offer that missionary? Here's $2 and a smile. I felt like I was doing nothing in my one life. I felt like I was 30 and all I had accrued was a massive hole in the ground called debt. I cried all day long. Because I was comparing my life to some other imagined life. I wonder if they were also riddled with doubts about whether their time was being used as effectively for Jesus as it could have been. Those are all the wrong questions. I mean, they're good questions, but here's the heart that I think can make it better. God, you're worth it. God, whatever the shape this takes, whether this one or that one, I'm offering it to you, and I want this to be a pleasing aroma to you. Receive not what I give, not a little bit of my time, not a little bit of money, me. My essence, my soul, my very self. John Wimber used to say, Lord, I'm a coin in your pocket. Spend me however you want. That's an interesting prayer. 
That's very different from sitting down and writing out your values and your core values and your, your mission statement and how are, what are the prophecies over your life and how are we going to fulfill those prophecies and how are we going to make this big kingdom impact intentionally. That stuff makes me a little allergic. I break out in slight hives. I would, mad, I would rather be a honeybee and accidentally pollinate all the flowers and create food for all the animals. But all I know is that nectar is sweet. In other words, I would rather go after the presence of the Lord and the fellowship of the Lord and let him worry about the purpose of my life. Can you imagine the bees being obsessed with whether they were efficient and effective enough or whether they were wasting their life? Bees be like, Get that smoke out of my face. You're trying to be too efficient and mission-driven. Oof. Okay. That was a beekeeper doing? Okay. The pastor as beekeeper. Hopefully, hopefully, what those little atheists in my head get to hear the Holy Spirit say back, leave him alone. He's done a beautiful thing for me. Amen.